Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. In 2015, Samantha Bee's name made headlines across the country. After 12 years as the longest-serving correspondent on The Daily Show, she was the presumed heiress to Jon Stewart's throne. But she didn't get the gig, and it was a shock to everyone, except Samantha herself. Bruised but undaunted, she set out to stake her own claim in the comedy world, making right on what never was. And today, Samantha Bee is not just the first woman leading late-night comedy, she is the only one. Surprisingly, it's an honor that Sam doesn't really relish. Diversity and inclusion are bone-deep values of both she and her show, full frontal with Samantha B. When staffing the writer's room, Samantha and her showrunner created a refreshing blind application process to open the door to talent of all backgrounds and experience levels. The result was a staff of 50% women and 30% writers of color, utterly unheard of in TV comedy. Since 2016, Samantha and her team have continued to shatter boundaries and press buttons, while at the same time doing exactly what political satire is supposed to do. Tell the hard truths, but make it funny, somehow. That job has only gotten harder over the course of Samantha's nearly 20-year television career, the last three in particular. Yet she's never faltered, even in the face of vicious misogynistic attacks. At one point, she set up a rape threat line for all the trolls flooding her DMs and mailroom with threats of violence in response to her sharp political critique. She continues to call out both the president and his policies, using her platform to vigorously support the most vulnerable people and at-risk causes. Abortion rights, the climate change crisis, immigrant children, and survivors of sexual violence. In addition to being a beloved political satirist, she's also an outraged and worried citizen, like so many of us today. When she's not at work lambasting the prejudice and demagoguery polluting our world, she's also raising three young children in the middle of it. Yet each week, Samantha does it again, shining her spotlight on one of the darkest and most complicated chapters in contemporary American history and finding a way to leave her audience laughing. Now in the months leading up to the 2020 election, How does the only woman in late-night comedy feel? Ready. Samantha B., it is such a pleasure and an honor to have you on in style today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm already having fun. I'm already having fun, too. So I want to talk about growing up in Canada. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in just like when you realized you were funny. I grew up in Toronto. Mm I'm an only child. My parents divorced really early. I was raised in large part by my grandmother. Who you was, had a really tight relationship with your grandmother. I had a, we had a really mom. tight, really tight relationship. What was her name? Her name was Doris Meekins. She was awesome. She, oh no, you've already made me cry just thinking about my grandmother. Shit. And I was just really stuck on just how tight you guys were. So tight. She gave you this perception about getting older. That was she so did. positive. So positive. Tell me about her. 
she was great. She was the secretary of the school that I went to. I went to Catholic school. So my parents were in high school when mm-hmm. they got, when my mom got pregnant with me, they were like high school sweethearts. And so when they told my grandmother, my mom was also an only child. So we are very small family people, like mm-hmm. an only child here, an only child there, two kids here, max. So they told my grandmother and she was like, you cannot do this. I'll, let me help you. And my mom was like, no, my act of rebellion is to have this child. <laughs> At 17. Yeah. So she was, I guess she was 18. People went to high school longer in Canada. We did like 13th grade in Canada until until I went to high school. I was actually the last generation of people who went to 13th grade. Anyway, um, yeah, grade 13. I don't even, it doesn't even make sense to me now at all. It just keeps going and then 14. It just goes on forever. Then, I know, anyway. And then you're a grandmother. Um, <laughs> so my, uh, my parents got married actually against literally everyone's wishes because everyone could look at their relationship and go this is terrible <laughs> don't just do it. my grandmother's like literally just do whatever you want but just don't get just married. give me the kid though and i'll take the kid and my mom was like no and also we're married now <laughs> so it's fine i love my parents i swear i i really i really love them but they were kids you know they were kids and so they didn't know what they were doing and so my but she was always there she was always like she was kind of like foundationally the person who always was like did you eat have you had a sandwich mm-hmm. and she brought me a backup lunch every day Your of my school did? career just in case and she was she was right to do that it was very good and so I would eat her lunch every day at school so I saw her every day from literally junior kindergarten which I guess is like pre-k here all the way through eighth grade, and then I went to regular high school after that. But so we were very, very close. Did you call her grandma in school? I called her Gam actually because it rhymed with Sam. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was just our thing. Oh, so you saw her every day, mm-hmm. and she had, and obviously she played a really, a really significant role in just you know yeah. consistency and just like just consistency, yeah. like that, just that you know. Not that uh, my parents absolutely loved me. You know, it was never, there was never like a lack of love. Like I shuttled around a lot for sure. Everyone always there was love, but she was just like a consistent force. You know what I mean? She was just like the safest place. Yeah. To fall. And why was she so special? There was something about her that was, she just, she was kind of ahead of her time, wasn't she? She was super ahead of her time. She had, you know, her side of the family was very, they were, without being so conscious about it, they were just sort of modern women who would like divorce shitty husbands and move on and be single women in the world and get jobs. And she was just a person who should have, you know, when she was growing up, she was, uh, I think she had two other siblings. When she was growing up, no one ever had ambitions for a woman her age. She was born in 1916. So people were like, well, this you become a you wife. Do. Yeah. First you become a wife. And if you're, a whore, maybe you can become a secretary. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you, <laughs> it was not your, it was not really thought of or even a possibility for her to go to college, which she really wanted to do, but they didn't have any money and it was not in her world to even think that that was a possibility. But she did go to secretarial school and get a job when really no one else was getting jobs or it was not common. She did not want to get married. She kind of got forced down the aisle, I think, 
and wasn't super excited about it. I also loved my granddad, but it was really, there was no mistaking the fact that she probably should not have done that. She should have, in an ideal, I'm glad she followed the path that she followed for my own purposes, but there was another path for her, probably. But I think probably what she could have imparted on you, it just had a bigger impact on you than it could have Mm. on her daughter because of that generational gap. Did she get to see like some of your really no, great she really television didn't. success? She really didn't. But I think that oh, I'm going to cry again. So the one thing that she did see, because she died when I was 27, the one thing that she did get to do was meet Jason, who I went on to marry. And it was like she was kind of dying when she met him. He was so great. He just was great. She had been so worried about me because she didn't. I didn't know what career path I was going to go down. And I was kind of confused. And, you know, even though I was in my late 20s, I didn't know what the hell was happening. But Jason was so special. And she could see that two days before she died. She was like, okay, well, I think I can die because I think that you're in really good hands. Like, I feel I'm okay with it. And I was like, I know exactly what you mean. And it was true. And anyway, we got married and that's a gift. We've been together. I mean, that was really the beginning of she our relationship. Like, but she was like, thumbs up. I've done my work. I've done my work. And now I can pass I can pass the torch. Like I felt that moment from her and I was in the moment I didn't know what she was talking about. I was like, Oh no, 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 no. This is fine. But immediately after she died, I went, Oh my God. And then literally we've been married for I don't know, like we got married in 2001. We met doing children's theater. It was terribly <laughs> undignified. And he was also on The Daily Show with you, wasn't he? He was. They didn't know that he was married to me. Someone on staff made the connection. They were like, I feel like that's the guy who keeps coming to our holiday party. <laughs> <laughs> and so they asked me, they were like, can we, do you mind if we, can we see your husband for this job? And I was like, oh my God, please see him. He's great. And so then we worked together and we shared an office and they were like, we would never put a married couple in an office together. That's a recipe for disaster. We were like, no, it's we we like each other. We work together because we had done so much work together up to that point. And so we worked there for a long time together. What's it like to work with your partner? I mean, is it mm-hmm. great or is it stressful or is it make it easier? Because then when you come home, it's like you're already on the same page and it's mm-hmm. not... I think there is kind of a built-in um, Just an understanding. Empathy. We've worked really well together. I think it it really works for us. I think it's not that doesn't mean to say that it's always pleasant or perfect. Well, it's no really, really not. Is. But we work together well. I think what is great about it is that we truly understand each other and we are very good sounding boards for one another in across any project that we're doing. Very, very good at that. There was obviously a lot of speculation when Mm -hmm. um, Jon Stewart retired and Mm -hmm. the fact that you were the most likely candidate to to replace him and then it didn't happen. I mean, what was his opinion about that? At the time that Jon announced, we had already, we had a pilot at TBS. Mm -hmm. We wrote a scripted show together, The Detour. And so we were excited about that and we were just holding our, we were like praying that that would go. Just was a natural, I've been there for 12 years. Like there's no job in the industry that last 12 it's uncommon for a job to last that long it's not it's great and it's really comforting sometimes you just have to spread your wings where were you living at the time 
in New York, not far away from the studio. We lived okay. actually because we'd had children yeah. and we we were very intentional. We designed our life so that we could like walk home to the babies, walk back to the studio. Like we were very close to the studio. Are you still really purpose. close to, the, to your studio? I'm pretty close to it. Yeah, I really? definitely walk to work. I love it. Oh, That's how awesome. I've... I've really been able to make those choices and they have cost us and they've been beneficial at the same time. Like there's been, you know, it's for me, the the benefit of being closer to the kids outweighed. How old are they now? 13 and 11 and my daughter's about to turn nine. So they're old enough to really be very dialed into what you do. Honestly, they truly don't care. Really? Yeah, yeah, no, they, I don't, they're not, they don't, they couldn't give a rat's that's exactly how it should be. So I don't, I don't tamper with that at all. It's perfect. Did you read the the Bruce Springsteen memoir, Born to Run? No, but I saw his one man show. I did too. Incredible. Anyway, but there's a there's a piece in that book that I found so profound, and mm-hmm. this was, I was reading it when I was pregnant, and he talked about when Patty, his wife, was mm-hmm. pregnant with their first um, son. He was really obsessed with this idea, like my kids are going to be my biggest fans and they're going to, we're going to like play a music to get, play my music together. (laughs) And we're going to like talk about like, you know, Mm -hmm. all the memories on the road and everything. Mm -hmm. And then he realized that when his kids were older, like they could give two shits about him. And then he, he, he makes this sort of declaration in the book. Like I realized becoming a father is about you being their biggest fan. It's not their job to be your biggest fan. No. It's like you have to be their biggest fan no matter what. It's at the small things like going to, you know, games. Totally. And showing yeah. up for homework and all that stuff. But being supportive of their and making, interests. Yeah, and mm-hmm. making it seem really important. Exactly. Well, they are the focus of our life. I mean, I love being around my kids. I can't wait to see them at the end of the day. They're the best. So I would love to talk a little bit about political satire. Obviously, I don't think any of us ever imagined we would be living in times like this. I think that because everyone gets their news from social media now, and and it's all sound bites, and I'd Mm -hmm. be very interested to hear about, you know, how you're briefed every day and how you actually kind of digest and download Mm -hmm. all the news. But I do think that shows like yours are really, really important because they demand that we show up and... It's fun. It's fun to actually learn about what's going on in the world and to actually enjoy it and not feel like it's work. Right. I think like there's an element of of catharsis. I think that's important for people. Like it was important for me when I was a bystander watching The Daily Show. Mm -hmm. If in some small part my show was doing that for people or making the world not seem so hideous or just breaking down things in a different way that so that we can all feel like we're having a shared experience of it, then that I think is great. We've gathered this amazing group of people around me and we're all trying to work our way through the news in in real time along with our viewing audience, if that makes any sense. Like we're working our way through this terrible material too. Yeah. And so the show is like a culmination of a week's worth of like slogging through horrible stories and deeper dives into awful stuff. I think catharsis is the main function of the satire news. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Realm these days. And then moving into an election year, you were renewed to go into 2020. What role do you think you want to play? I don't know. I actually really, I'm not really sure. It's a difficult, you know, each news site or each election year. I mean, even going, going back 12 years, going back 15 years or however long I've been doing it. Each election cycle presents a different set of challenges. Each one is very, is unique. I'm asking only about the show and the 2020 election because Mm -hmm. I do think that your show and some other shows like yours really play such an important role in just helping us to stay on top of what's going on, but also getting a trusted opinion about it because Mm. I do think that knowing how you run your show, knowing Mm -hmm. how you staff your show, Mm -hmm. knowing how you staff your writer's room, it means a lot to us and the fact that you really care about people's viewpoints. and Because I think that with your... You know, not the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I think that those are really important events to help us see the situation, a really serious and sometimes extremely complicated situation from a different vantage point that's easier to understand. Well, thank you. Well, the one thing that that we do do that I feel very good about is I think that it's very important to be able to look back on this time in history and say, I... stood up (laughs) in whatever way. Like I said something. It's just, it's, if it's all that you can do is to make your feelings known in this era and take a stand for something. I think it's actually a very important time to do so. So another thing that you've talked about before, there was a really interesting quote. I could probably find it somewhere. I also want to know about what it was like to move into Bethany Frankel's talk show space. Mm. (laughs) It's it's still decorated. It's still decorated the exact same way. Really? Yes. We haven't changed the furniture. Are you guys Twitter friends or anything like that? God, no. No. She doesn't know I exist. (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding? (laughs) I thought that was a really interesting little tidbit. (laughs) It's all like white vinyl sofas and we haven't changed a goddamn thing because we're like just too busy trying to make the show. And we're like, someone looked around the other day. Well, we were in rewrite. Our rewrite room is Bethany Frankel's rewrite room. It's just to the extent it was her dressing room, I guess. And it's white pleather sofas and plexiglass, clear plexiglass chairs and glass tables and a lot of chrome. And it's like we don't even, like, I don't even see it. Any, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't look at it. We don't see it. And we got, we hired a new writer. And I don't know I why think I find it, this so funny. I think it was her. And somebody in passing was like, you know, now that we're in Bethany Frankel's old space. And she was like, oh, God damn it. That's why it's decorated like this. <laughs> the whole time she had thought that they were my choices. Anyway, I'm just too lazy to, <laughs> to put in brown sofas. I don't know. What would I do? I mean, Come you on. you recycled. A I think you were, people, being, you were being efficient. You the, were being very efficient. Those pleather couches fit a lot of asses, is what I'm saying. This is from The Cut in 2018. It says, when you're over 40 on TV, you've got nothing to lose. Mm. 
I think in any industry, Mm -hmm. really. Um, No one can penetrate you with criticism of how you dress or look because you've Mm -hmm. heard it all a billion, a bajillion times. Mm -hmm. I mean, what has been your experience in terms of, you know, being in your 40s and Mm -hmm. and in this industry? And I don't know, having, do you feel any pressure to look a certain way? I mean, I think maybe it's a little bit different for your piece of the entertainment industry. I'm not really sure. I can't say that my piece, I, I don't, well, you know, I have the luxury now of not actually, I mean, sure, I care. I'm vain, I guess, just like anyone. But age, but, oh, ageism. Well, you know, I'm turning 50 in October, so I'm like totally, I'm like not going to be in my 40s anymore. So you're a Libra? I'm a Scorpio. You're a Scorpio. I'm a Scorpio, late October. It's been very freeing. How do you feel about turning 50? I'm fine with it. I don't know. I've never felt healthier mentally and physically than I do now. So I feel good about it. I feel like I've earned 50. I I think I'm holding it together pretty well, decently. I, I don't I'm not I'm not super worried about it. I'm in a good place to turn 50. Well you've achieved a lot. I think it's incredibly important for young women to see other women turn 50 and not be embarrassed or ashamed about it. I don't know why, but I, I sort of think about Sex in the City kind of glorified being in your 40s. It was sort mm-hmm. of a sexy time. Yeah. And there was something about when Samantha turned 50 that mm-hmm. was just like, <gasps> you know, it was like, I know, exactly. And I have a lot of really cool, interesting, highly relevant women who are just crazy successful Mm -hmm. they're still so in the heat of their careers and I think it's really really deeply important that young women see that you're a celebrity but really appreciate you just telling me that you're about to turn 50 but a lot of people lie about their age and they don't talk about it and it's sort of I think it really sets a a very unrealistic view of value and how women see themselves and I think that a lot of that insecurity comes from feeling like getting older means your value goes down. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I think a lot of people lie about their age, and I actually understand why they do, given the, I, the... Because they work in an industry that is so biased against age, so they feel like they don't have a choice, and they're in this trap, and the industry has just not evolved to comfortably incorporate women who don't lie about their age at this moment. It fucking sucks. It's so brutal. And so I have never... I just don't lie about it because I don't give a shit because I'd rather look good at 50 than look like a awful for 35. <laughs> like if I told you I was 35 right now, you'd be like, holy Jesus. I don't want to live that example for my daughters. It's a, it's great to be 50. Like it's freedom. The older I get, the more free I feel to express myself and be myself. I don't worry about... I think I try to stay fit because I feel better when I'm fit and just mentally I feel my my brain feels better for sure. Talking about perimenopause is like a whole other vibe. It's like a whole other conversation, but it is like a third rail in women's conversations. And I think that that's unhealthy and shitty and dangerous and weird and I don't understand it. So I'm just not going to, I'm just choosing to not live my life that way. If you're always curious about the world, if you're curious and engaged with the world that you live in, it's only going to get better. Growing up, living a lot in my grandmother's house, like we watched the Golden Girls together. Like there were, you know, very... The best fashion. It's The Golden Girls is one of, is just the best television show that maybe ever was. The Golden Girls was so good because we all want that life. I want to live with my girlfriends in old age. Amazing. Let's talk about swimsuit competition. Oh, sure. 
Ding, ding. I know. Tell me about your production company. Swimsuit competition I run with a woman named, her name is Kristen Everman. She's Mm -hmm. amazing. She's Mm -hmm. a go-getter. We got lots of projects on that. I can't really talk about anything. She's a go-getter. She's a career gal. Well, tell me how the two of you came together. Well, we worked at The Daily Show together, and then she came and she worked at Full Frontal, and she was one of the first uh, producers of our first not the White House Correspondents Dinner. She's just very together, she's very amazing. capable. Yeah, she's great. So, what's the what's the aim to with this production company? What do you hope to achieve with it? Well, I actually, I mean, I really just want to. I want to make the kinds of shows that I want to watch. I'm have such varied interests. We're taking, you know, we talk to so many people. We are being very curated about the things that we pursue. Of course, I can't really talk about anything specifically because everything's like like in play. We have a documentary project that we're working on, a couple of scripted things that we're trying to move through the system. We have an adaptation of a series of short stories that we're closing a deal on that is very exciting in the realm of science fiction and that's amazing yeah in very in in a creepy sense of the word like dystopian kind of thing dystopian okay series so it it really runs the gamut it's really like are you focusing on women filmmakers of course okay i mean not i would not say exclusively i wasn't sure focusing more focusing on storytelling and things that pique our interest and things that we think seem right for us so a large part of that will be women directors of course mm-hmm. of course well, i wasn't sure with the with the name swimsuit competition you don't really get those with men so <laughs> i don't know maybe there should be you know it's mostly uh swimsuit competitions <laughs> uh we're bringing back uh bikini contests across the world wet t-shirt anything <laughs> anything swims that would be incredible I can't believe I also read that you were really, really shy as a kid. I'm extremely shy. I think that's still true. I how just can you know even get up there and to... do these monologues? And I, you do not seem like a person that is ever shy. You don't have to take any kind of I'm like so beta block or anything before you do that. No, 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 no. It's like, um, it's, I think that's true with a lot of performers. There's a lot of there's an internal shyness that is. Could you just go into override? You're just go into override. I know how to act like I'm not shy. Like right now, I'm not, I don't feel shy, but it's, it's like pushing, it's like hitting overdrive. But if you put me at a party or if I was going to, there are more social, like interpersonal situations where I'm like really shy. Dinner parties where I don't know anybody or like a cocktail party that's business oriented. I'm very, I'm shy in those situations too. I'm very shy. I mean, I think you probably can tell, like I don't walk into a room and go everybody look at me let's talk about Sambi. <laughs> like like don't it's fine i don't want to like you're so shy <laughs> oh boy i can't wait to talk about myself and how great i am <laughs> like really? i know i have such a funny story about bruce springsteen can i tell you yes tell me <laughs> right right in right in closing okay it's just that we were talking about the bruce springsteen's one man so show attractive very attractive. Very and attractive. My, um, he wears jewelry. I'm not. I'm not big on jewelry on men. Good. But he wears jewelry really well. He's in his seventies. He's just like. I, I. I think that's amazing. He's really got it. He's really kept it together. But I took my stepmom to go see him. She's. I'm very very close with my stepmom. She was married to my dad for thirty years. I love her so I much. Love that. Such a good grand 
mother to my mm-hmm. children. She's incredible. Her dream is to like meet Bruce Bruce. Like he, he, she, uh, his worship. dream is to meet all of his fans. He is Every like single so one into his fans individually. Well, he got his chance, believe me. So I got, I had the opportunity to go backstage after the show. I took her. She oh was my God. dying inside. Like she was dying. Were you, you weren't dying inside? Well, it was more, I was felt more privileged to be able to be a conduit for her to live her dream. Because I think he's great, but she really, I mean, she this like, is like a moment. You uh-huh. know, this is like meeting your hero. It's big. So whatever, however nervous I was, was completely subsumed by mm-hmm. making this experience rock for her. So we get there and he comes in and she was like so together. She was like, oh, it's really nice to meet you. I have, uh, I've been a fan of yours for a really long time. I, I think, I just think you're terrific. And I think the show was wonderful. And, uh, and he was like, oh, it's really nice to talk to you. And they literally chit chatted and it was incredible. And uh, then he was like, should we take a picture? And then Patty came in and she was really nice. And Marilyn was like, oh, this is really nice to meet you as well. And we, it was so civil. And then we all stood together to take a picture. And then she couldn't hold it any longer. So we're like all standing there, just smiling, frozen, ready for the picture. And she goes, how about a big kiss on the lips? <laughs> and Patty goes, okay, we're done. And we, <laughs> I was like, so how about if we make out like it was so she pushed it so hard right at the end she almost got there oh i love that she did that and patty really was like not having it like i we get this a lot okay thanks we gotta get back to jersey (laughs) let's get (laughs) we're going home now and she was it was she was so right to pull the plug (laughs) it only would have gone downhill from there but i was happy to have that experience he was so delightful about it oh my god it was so cute samantha b it's been such a pleasure to have you on and so style today you I are cried instantly boy no 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 the world is crazy right now <laughs> thanks for having me on your phone girls <laughs> can i do that again please although i'd really like to use that one um samantha okay. b yes <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep wrecking the endings. (laughs) (laughs) Take four. Take four. Mm -hmm. Samantha B., it's been such a pleasure to have you on Unstyled today. I really, really enjoyed spending some time with you and talking to you. Thank you. This was very fun. This was a totally delightful experience. I'm so glad. hope you're inspired after hearing Samantha's story. For even more Unstyled Extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag Unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on Apple Podcasts and rate us while you're there. You can head over to Refinery29.com to find this episode and more, and make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter, delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was produced by Rebecca Easley and Jay Brunson, with production assistance by Kate Spencer. Unstyled was edited by Priscilla Mena and Anna Costanza, and our writer is Kelsey Miller. Our theme music today is by The Artist Cough, and we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist at Argo Studios and Gotham Podcast Studio. We'll see you back here next Monday for a conversation with soon-to-be author, influencer, and host, 
Amina Tussauds on sisterhood and creative soulmates. See you then.